Welcome to A New Lease of Life, a podcast and insider's guide to the build to rent sector. Exclusive interviews, thought-provoking analysis and entertaining discussion. Brought to you by Deverell Smith, the right people. Hi guys, welcome to A New Lease of Life, a podcast and insider's guide to the build to rent sector. We are joined by trailblazers, innovators and passionate people who exist in this space. We're very delighted this morning to be joined by Matt Berg, who has traveled all the way from Australia just for this. I'm joking. Um, Matt is the founder and co-CEO of Local, a BTR platform in Australia. Matt, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Nick. Um, yeah, really good to be here. Awesome. And to finally meet you in person. A- absolutely. It's been a long a long time coming. Um, Matt, well, look, we, ha- we have quite a bit to uh, unpack, and I, I want to get into the, the finer details of Local. But um, firstly, I'm, I'm always fascinated to speak with founders to understand why they choose what they choose to do, um, but also what life was like before. So perhaps can you share with us your personal journey and, uh, and background to become the founder of Local? Sure. Yeah, happy to. Um, in my professional career, I started out um, in the valuation space. Um, I worked for CBRE, I worked for JLL, I actually did some tenant rep as well on the side. Um, did a little bit of work in Papua New Guinea, which was interesting. Um, very different property market than both the UK and Australia. Um, but then, and sort of quick, fairly quickly, a- ended up in the development world. So initially, as an analyst um, on the Captrain side, on the development management side, um, at a company by the name of Grocon um, yeah. in Melbourne. Did some time there, um, about seven years. Really, really interesting place to work. Um, at the time, I was in the development side of the business. It was also a really big builder. Um, unfortunately, it no longer exists as a builder. Um, but um, broad exposure to lots of different asset classes um, and basically one of those sort of organisations where if, if you showed any initiative at anything, you you know you were put into yeah. the deep end and, and given a lot of opportunity to expand your horizons. So I did... Um, My first exposure to Build to Rent was 2014. Um, We did um, the Commonwealth Games Village. Um, 2018 Commonwealth Games was held on the Gold Coast. Like the London Olympics, we had to build a giant athletes village when, you know, whenever you have a ton of athletes staying, you have to have a huge amount of space and a huge amount of um, new facilities and new residences and you can't just kick people out of their existing homes. The property market yep. can't support that, so that has to be built. Um, so, you know, that was the first exposure. We won that project. That was 1,250 units. That was delivered as a built rent asset. Mm-hmm. Um, from then, I've been hooked ever since. What, what, what was it that attracted you to build rent? She said that you were exposed to a number of sectors. So. Yeah, it was probably the combination of, of the fact that it's an asset that... Um, well, number one, it's residential, so everyone can respond to it, relate to it. Everyone lives in a home. Everyone lives in a house or an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very easy to chat about. Australians are obsessed about property. I am too. I'm real estate obsessed. Um, you know, it, even though I live in a house, I'm constantly looking up other houses and other apartments, yeah. and I love looking at a set of floor plans. Um, but, you know, build to rent in a way combines um, residential... Um, you know, the, the, the really fundamental residential grassroots side of property, which I really like, with the institutional mm-hmm. ownership, which is, you know, the nuts and bolts are exactly like commercial office or retail mm-hmm. or industrial, um, where you have, you know, large scale money effectively chasing, you know, return. So 
I, I really like that side of it as well in that um, it behaves very similar to those asset classes. Mm. I've, be, I've been fondly watching the Australian BTR market grow and I, I can't seem to go a day without a, a new scheme launching or a partnership or a, a, a funding deal. But I guess for the benefit of our listeners, could you just maybe give an update on uh, the current state of BTR in, in Australia and where exactly we are? Yeah, good question. Uh, look, I think the easiest point of reference um, is PBSA, um, uh, which, which I've, I've had some exposure to in Australia, was always about, so we, you know, rough rule of thumb, seven years behind um, the UK market. You know, for whatever reason, we seem to tell you guys, um, we see what you do. We decide we like that or we don't like it. Um, we see hopefully some mistakes that have been pre-made and try and fix them on the way through or we try and tailor that um, particular product to our market. Um, PBSA was about seven years behind. I think we're about seven years behind as well on the on the build-to-rent side of things. So, you know, our Commonwealth Games, um, you know, we were sort of dealing with that in 2014. You guys had already built that asset or were in the process of completing it. Mm. Um, for 2012 so I think yeah we're about where and that's sort of where it started as I understand here so we're about seven years behind Um, the state of the market is you know I think roughly similar to where you guys are in that the build to sell side of things has really slowed down it was slowing down from about call it 2018 2019 um, where all the offshore purchases that existed to sort of fuel that market on the residential side of things just basically disappeared a number of reasons um you know the chinese capital controls coming out of china um were were sort of fundamental there but also um there was a foreign stamp duty levied mm. on on foreign purchases um so that, that really slowed down um our sales market um and you know it's caused a sort of a fundamental structural undersupply that exists today yeah. um so really, built to rent is is the only asset class right now that's firing on the residential side of things, and because of that, rather than being what we initially thought was going to be quite a niche market in Australia, it's now seen as you know potentially the only solution or mm-hmm. one of the only solutions for for solving housing affordability mm-hmm. or supply. And, and since it's existed, are there any, any any sort of trends? I guess in the UK, yes, we have those same challenges and undersupply of um, available housing. So. Built around and sort of paved the way there, but th- there's been another focus on on once the buildings are built, how we can improve the experience for the customer. Would you say that customer experience piece exists in Australia as well? Definitely. I mean, the one thing that has been lacking in in call it the the traditional letting market in Australia, um, as I understand it, sort of lacked here too, is is any sort of customer service. Um, so, you know, from a maintenance and management perspective, um, responses were really slow, um, generally across the board, um, you know, in terms of even, you know, upfront inspections and the whole leasing and sales process, um, you know, virtually non-existent. Yep. You know, the only time you can inspect a, a unit, for example, might be 2.30 on a Wednesday afternoon when most people are working. Um, and then it's just, you know, if you can get your application in in time and you fit the profile of the perfect tenant, then perhaps you can rent the unit um, yeah. and you're prepared to pay mm-hmm. two months in advance. So um, those sorts of things are really easy, slim pickings for um, for the built-to-rent community to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's happened. Um, I think generally um, in Australia so far, it you know, built-to-rent has been pitched as a premium product. 
Yeah. Um, hotel style living, 24-7 concierge, um, you know, superior amenities, really nice fit and finish, you know, like a luxury fit and finish. Um, and that's been the first couple of platforms that have that have come out with that sort of um, that style and that uh, market niche. And, but we perhaps see it as as a broader um, appealing asset class than that. And, and we're actually focusing on the middle markets. Yeah, and I think we're just sort of scratching the surface at that. A lot of the buildings were very high end in the UK for the, the past decade, but it's starting to diversify and perhaps tap into. Uh, the mass market of, of, of people looking to rent. Yeah. Um, just before going to local, I guess one topic, uh, you know, we, we've, in the UK, we've always looked at the US for inspiration because uh, the beat built to rent market, multifamily, obviously they call it, um, is, is, is incredibly mature. So we've looked at that market, we've looked at parts of Europe um, to understand how to operate buildings and what customers want. Who, who are Australia looking at? Because I guess you've got, you've got a couple of case studies to look at now. We're looking at you guys. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're looking at you guys. We're looking at other parts of Europe. Um, you know, we did study tours very early on. Um, we're looking at certain parts of the US. The US, there's a lot of variation in the type of product that sort of ex- exists there. You can get middle market stuff. Yeah. You can get, you go to New York and you get the best of the best. Um, yeah, generally, we think the customer profile or the, you know, the similarities between the UK and Australia are stronger than they are between Australia and the yep. US. Um, so, and, and the way the property market operates, the laws behind it, um, et cetera, are really similar in the UK. Yep. All, the, all, the, all the issues that you're having around um, affordable and social housing are quite similar as well. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about local. You, you briefly mentioned what you were trying to do. So what, what, what sets local, well, what, are, what is local and what, what exactly sets you apart from uh, other, other players in the market? Sure, yeah. Um, so local, we established in 2021, end of 2021, so a very new business. We are a built-to-rent platform, so we're a developer, owner, operator of built-to-rent assets. Um, and, and, and broadly speaking, sort of living assets in the future. We're looking to you know, expand into other, other markets eventually, but for the time being, we're in that sort of traditional apartment space. Um, looking for you know minimum sort of six to 12 month leasing commitments when we eventually open. So that sort of puts us in the market in that we're, we're, definitely, we're, we're definitely not co-living, we're definitely not sort of student accommodation, although we may have some students. Um, but what we're trying to focus on is um, you know, people who wanna put down roots in a particular community oh and wanna stay for hopefully a, yeah. as long a time as possible. So the way we, from an investment perspective, we kind of started with the idea, particularly in Australia, um, that built to rent could be um, the most potentially the most um, defensive asset class there is in the property space as it exists um, in the US, for example. And you know, if you broaden out that thesis, yeah. um, if you have a really expensive product in an area where you have quite transient tenants, which has traditionally been the Melbourne and Sydney CBDs, for example. Mm-hmm that doesn't play very well with that investment thesis yep. in that you know you'll have high turnover of tenants and you'll have a very very small group of people that can actually be able to afford your rents hmm. and if the economy was to tip like covid for example um then that thesis overturns and you're down 10 20 percent on your rents hmm. um which is not a defensive asset class that's quite a risky asset class um so in order to attract um, really good quality capital that is interested in holding the assets for the long term. We, we we wanted to focus on sort of the middle markets, areas which we think the broadest possible 
um, spectrum of tenants could potentially afford the rents. Yeah. Um, and those tenants wanted to stay for a very long time. They, yeah. they felt ingrained in the community by living in our buildings. Mm. Um, so, so local, you know, was formed under that. And, and look, to be honest, we're not a, because um, a lot of people ask us this question, we're not, um, we are not affordable yeah. um, per se, um, because you cannot be affordable with the way bill costs are going in Australia. And I'm sure mm. it's the same in the UK. Um, but we are at the mo- more affordable end of the build to rent market is how I would how yeah. I'd, um, sort of frame us. Um, so attainable rents, in other words. So, you know, as, as the, to the extent possible. Um, we also wanted to form a brand that was uniquely Australian. We've had a lot of groups come in from the UK and the US, mm. um, which we think, you know, is totally fine. But, you know, we think Australians, we have this thing in Australia, I'm sure you've heard of it, tall poppy syndrome. Um, and you know the the best example I I always reference is Starbucks when they came up to came into Australia and told Australians how to drink coffee and they failed abysmally Um, and you know so we wanted to come up with with a brand that was uniquely Australian and and something values wise that that Australians could get behind um, and something that was you know came up with build to rent for Australians effectively rather than sort of um, importing a model when you, when you sort of take the approach to affordable build-to-rent that we've taken, you can do some other really cool stuff around impact housing as well. Mm-hmm. So impact housing is sort of our broad term for affordable social and NDIS housing. NDIS housing is basically disability housing in Australia. Yep. Um, and, and we're committing to do 10% impact housing in all our developments, and that's, that's voluntary. We don't have to do that. Because yep. um, we think, you know, values-wise... Um, you know, most of our tenants and our stakeholders from an ESG perspective um, are looking to align themselves with groups that mm. are also doing some of the S side of the ESG, not just the E side of the ESG. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've, we've committed to that as well as a number of sustainability initiatives. Mm. Um, so, you know, we're at, we're at a point now where we've got about 900 units in our pipeline. We've got two projects in Melbourne. We're a Melbourne-born bris- um, business and we've got two projects in Melbourne. We're looking at expanding into Brisbane and Sydney yeah. um, in the near term. So a, a quick question. So um, how do you navigate the balance between creating something which is somewhat more affordable uh, versus ensuring profitability of the, of the scheme? Yeah, the answer is it's really hard. Um, you know, w- with the way bill costs are going, what you do is you make, you know, what, what the, the best approach that we found is to, is to rentalise everything. So whenever we're making a decision... Um, you know, in a in a project, we we try and rentalise that decision. Yeah. Um, and the best example I can think of is um, is our HVAC um, strategy, so mm-hmm. our, our air conditioning strategy that we had in our buildings, and we had the decision early on: do we adopt a central um, air conditioning strategy approach, so you have sort of planned to the top yeah. of your building, and that runs all of the units within that building, or do you have split systems with condensers on balconies, which mm-hmm. is a cheaper approach? Um, and we rentalized that because it was in, in our first project, there was about a $10 million difference between the two, um, mm. which was, you know, huge in a $185 million build contract, a $10 million difference is, is incredible in, in so far as um, the rent or the rent that we can not charge our customers by making that design decision. And I think we ended up figuring out that it was about 10 bucks a week cheaper for a tenant um, if they took 
the split system approach. But the really cool thing about the split system approach too is that you could zone your air conditioning so you didn't have to turn your air conditioning on for the mm. entire unit, um, which means you could save on your power bills. And we got a, we, we did a big piece of work on the ESD side of things too with our ESD consultant to prove that actually from an environmental perspective uh, and an overall carbon usage perspective, splits were more efficient mm. um, and cheaper. Um, the only reason you would ever choose to do a central system is because an architect might say, well, we don't want an ugly condenser on our balcony and, and that, you know, I couldn't put my name to that. Yeah. Um, but you can always screen it, right? So, yeah, or you can do a course. condenser farm. So, so there's really, um, you know, that, that design decision saved our tenants a ton of money. Um, but it's also like, and that was a very, you know, specific example, but it's also about where we choose to build uh, or develop, um, making sure that we're not paying too much for land. Um, choosing areas that are, um, you know, um, not the most expensive areas mm. you know, from a land price perspective, choosing buildings that are DA approved that are very um, efficient to build yep. as well is really important. You, meant, you mentioned land there. Um, a huge headache in the UK is the, the planning system. Yeah. It's, you know, it's incredibly archaic and, and things like acquiring land. Is, is there any, um, you know, what, what's that process in Australia like? Is there any legal issues or... Or, or any challenges you've, you've had to you've had to overcome. We took a really, um, we made a very considered decision when we first started the platform that we weren't going to attempt any new DAs or planning permits mm -hmm. as a part of our first call it you know half a dozen assets. So we wouldn't be buying you know call it virgin sites that didn't have any planning approval whatsoever. Yeah. So um, Kensington, which is our first asset, it, it already had a planning approval. Right. We just had to amend it. Um, it was still really difficult and challenging because of all the things that you've, you know, you're, you're probably experiencing in your mm -hmm. system. Um, there is a lot of local council um, influence on on planning in Australia, um, and those local councils, um, you know, they have constituents that are putting pressure on them. Obviously, there's nimbyism yeah. and all the things that you're experiencing. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, no, we, we made that decision because there are enough sites through the build to sell cycle that have been approved. Mm -hmm. um, so why would we take that risk? We think it's a really good, efficient way um, to get our hands on sites that, you know, the heavy lifting has been done for us already. Eventually we'll have to be in it. We, it's getting harder, we know that, but so far it's proved to be a really good yeah. decision. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about talent. It's obviously my, my biggest passion, and I, I truly believe finding the right people for the right roles could be one, one of the single biggest determining factors of a business succeeding. Um, talk talk about the tell me about the team you've built at Local so far, and what, what are the sort of the the expertise and traits that uh, that they've brought to you so far? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we've got a great team. Like that's you know, if not the um, thing, but one of the most things that we're proud of about local is is the guys that we've got working for us. Um, so we've got a team of sixteen, um, about to be seventeen, um, and um, probably you know I think twenty odd by the end of this year. So we're hiring fairly quickly. Um, so as a part of that, um, you know, we've only been around for a very short period of time. I've been. This is, you know, this has been my baptism of fire and mm -hmm. recruitment. I've done a little bit in my previous career, but nothing so quick. Um, you know, so we, we, you know, we've learned lessons along the way, like everyone else. But um, probably, 
you know, what I'd say is that the best people that we've hired have actually not been the most obvious. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we predominantly, um, the, the number one thing that I'd say we would make a difference um, in, in us choosing a particular candidate over another one is culture and personality mm. um, rather than necessarily resume. Um, they have to have a certain amount of things, yeah. right? We're not going to, you know, sit there and, and, and just hire um, people who have no experience. But um, it's their attitude um, for the most part um, that, that has sort of got them over the line. And, you know, we have a, um, we have a policy which is, um, you know, effectively um, no buff heads. Um, we used to call it something else, but I'm not allowed <laughs> to say that, but a no buff head policy, which is basically, you know, no one... No one should be doing anything, um, you know, that makes anyone feel uncomfortable in a team scenario. Um, it's not all about them. It's really about the, you know, the mission matters, which is something that we say a lot, the local. Um, and, um, you know, so far that's, that's, that's done really well for us. We've, we've hired a lot of really quality people. Yeah. And the team culture is, has been, you know, wildly successful because of it. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really about, you know, meeting them as many times as possible, um, making sure they meet as many people in the team so they get a feel for what we're like, um, and um, making sure that our values are really clear to them before they before they join, and our priorities are really clear to them before they join so yeah. that they can actually respond to them and they get a, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you hire someone and they're not the right fit and then you've, you've put them out, you, they've put you out and it's, you know, it's yeah. not a good result. I guess, um as a, a startup, so when's your first scheme opening? So we don't open um, Kensington until mid, well, um, mid next year, mid twenty twenty four. So I guess and you, you open in twenty twenty one. So I guess staying motivated, you've you've always got to set short term goals to yeah to stay motivated. So um, what 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 have been one of the highlights of some of the, like the rewarding milestones so far? Yeah, like I mean, we've had. We've had lots of milestones. So despite the fact we didn't have a planning permit, oh, we already had a planning permit on site and we didn't have to get a brand new one. Um, we did have to get an amendment. We had to appoint a builder um, on Kensington. You know, we've since got a second site, which is in South Melbourne. Um, so the acquisition process behind that has, you know, has had a lot of um, milestones in itself. They've had, it, they've had their own planning approval. Um, we've hired people, obviously, in that, but that's that's sort of motivating. We've um, we've got a lot of sort of um, corporate milestones. So we've just had our ESG plan and policy um, approved by the board <coughs> that we've put out. Um, we've got our reconciliation action plan approved. So reconciliation is a big deal in Australia um, with with um, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Mm-hmm. Um, insofar as the reconciliation between um, the current establishment and, and Torres Strait Island, uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people is really important. Yeah. Um, and there's a big The Voice referendum happening. I'm not sure if it's made its way in the news over here yet. Um, so beyond that, we're going for our B Corp, um, which, is, which is a certification, a corporate certification. Um, and you know we've had um, a ton of little wins along the way as well in in, in um, you know little planning permits and um, through our PCGs a lot of little um, 
um, milestones as well. So, mm. yeah, there's been plenty to celebrate. Um, and uh, we've got our third one in the mix at the moment, our third um, our third asset in the mix too. So hopefully that closes soon. Awesome. And I guess on the, on the flip side, what key challenges, what, 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 what have they looked like? Oh, um, you know, there's challenges on a daily basis. But, um, yeah, hiring has been one of them, actually. Um, yeah, we've had some false starts with some candidates, which, have ma- which, which has been difficult. Um, but, you know, we've, you know, we had false starts and then we found the right, you know, we found yeah. another person, if yeah. not, you know, an even better person in some cases. Um, so, yeah, definitely on that side of things. But I think just as a general challenge, getting our stakeholders' um, minds around build to rent um, as an asset class in Australia. Mm. Um, and I'm not talking about our investors. They've, you know, our investors invest a lot overseas in built around, they understand yeah. it, but it's more government stakeholders, um, banks, um, those sort of groups um, who, even, you know, in the planning system, those sort of groups who haven't really understood mm-hmm. it. Um, and, but I think the tide's definitely turning on that one. And, and how, how do you overcome that? Is it through... Um, a whole a whole bunch of PowerPoint slides, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's it's just you know sitting down with them and, and talking them through overseas examples. Yeah. The UK, we always go back to. We use it as a really good proxy. The US as well, mm-hmm. um, and you know, showing them that um, yeah, that it's a that's a true asset class, and then showing them how mm-hmm. could, how big it could be in Australia. I think the first challenge you mentioned about talent is, is something I'm deeply passionate about because we've sort of been through the same thing. We're having to build a a, a workforce which essentially didn't exist in this space before. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I really admired you saying you, you talk about sort of the uh, personality and cultural attributes um, because if you're going after experience, you're going after a very thin talent pool, and that just adds more pressures on wages. So um, I think that's going to be a big challenge over the next couple of years, but. Uh, something you, you've seen that you're ahead of the curve with? Yeah, I think we, um, we've we all worked at organisations where, you know, perhaps there was um, not a great culture or the culture wasn't even clear, which is just as bad, or the values weren't clear, which is just as bad. Um, I think COVID, for a lot of people, um, certainly in Australia and I'm, I'm sure everywhere, um, you know, bore out... Um, a lot of issues for people insofar as, you know, how their role fits into a system um, and, you know, what they're doing, um, you know, whether or not they're helping or hindering that system mm-hmm. um, and whether or not they just go home at night and go, yeah, just I'm, I'm really glad I worked hard today because the outcome is yeah. X, Y, Z. Um, so we've been really conscious to, you know, build a brand that hopefully is giving back in the ESG side of things as well. and. You know, I've certainly found a lot of value in that. Um, you know, going home at the end of the end of the night, going, "Okay, we're actually contributing. We're helping." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel bad. I'm not a dirty, grubby developer. That's you yeah. know only about profit. There is a purpose. Yeah. Um, not that we're not for profit. We are. Um, but you know, we think we can actually have our cake and eat it too on that yeah. front. And I think a lot of people that we've managed to get on board, um, perhaps worked for institutions beforehand that didn't have that view. And so you know. If you can come to work every day with that mindset, um, it makes the day go a lot quicker. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, to anyone who's who's listening, who perhaps is thinking of setting up a platform or, or any sort of business in in, in build trend as a, an industry expert and an entrepreneur, what what what's your ad, what's your advice for anyone looking to enter this space? 
Oh, look, I mean, just have a really flexible, positive mindset, I'd say. Like, there'll be challenges, um, you know, built to rent, particularly in a new market, um, you know, is is a very, very difficult thing to get over the line. Um, uh, and, and because of that, you'll be, you know, there'll be daily challenges. So I think, you know, I see challenges as a really positive thing generally. Yeah. I haven't always seen them that way, but I've sort of changed it, changed my mindset um, a little bit since starting the business and I see challenges as a real positive because half the time we come up with them, um, we, end up, we end up thinking through a problem in a different way and coming out with a better solution um, or a better outcome. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, challenges are learning opportunities is probably the number one lesson that I've taken out of it. Um, you know, I think the perseverance side of things is really important as well. Um, so, you know, I think... Um, starting a business and, and, and running a business, particularly in this economy, this global economy. Um, it's not just Australia that's challenging at the moment. Yeah. Um, you do need to just, um, you know, keep getting punched in the face and get, get getting back up again yeah. um, in a lot of cases, right? So I think, you know, your ability to be, um, um, to persevere and to think innovatively um, in, the face, in the face of challenges is, is really important. Um, but I think the most important lesson um, in starting a business and having a built-to-rent business is to actually sort of try and make it fun along the way somehow. Yeah. Like we, we sit in the office and sort of, because we're in that stage where we're thinking up policies, right? Because, um, you know, we, we want to have pets in our buildings. We want to have, you know, dog washes and we want to have pet parks and we're naming them. And, yeah. you know, we're sort of, we have sort of daily um, team conversations when we're just really just spitballing ideas about you know how how cool this business could be once we're up and operating Mm. um and bringing in the team on all of those things because you know we're doing it for the first time but they are too so it's not like we're teaching them and we're the only single source of truth and um and um you know what we say say goes you know we 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 have this little whatsapp group on the that we we're constantly doing polls Mm. on you know should we do this that or the other in our buildings yeah. What's what's your favourite colour of the logo that we're redesigning? Um, we've got we've got a ton of merchandise that we're putting out to all our stakeholders at the moment. You know, do what do we want for our future merchandise? Um, those sort of little things I think just make it fun within the team and build culture and camaraderie and all the rest of it. So I love so that stuff. Something. Yeah. We're um. Thank you, Matt. We're um. We're just going to finish with some quick fire questions. If that's yeah. all right. Sure. Morning routine. What, yeah. What does that I'll look try like? and be quick. Sorry. Morning <laughs> morning routine. What what does that look like? Up early. I'm a morning person. Um, I get up early. I ride to work. It's the most efficient way for me to get to to work, and I get some exercise along the way. Yeah, cricket or rugby or, or neither. Uh, my colleagues are over here, um, uh, and they were at the they were at the Ashes yesterday. Unfortunately, they got rained out. Yeah. I, I I would prefer cricket. I'm an AFL guy though. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, if you could build, if there were if there were no barriers, and you could build the ultimate built around scheme, what where would it be? What would it look like? What would it have in it? Oh, wow. That's such a great <laughs> question. Um, look, uh, I shouldn't say this, but a competitor of ours did a half-court basketball court um, in one of their built-around buildings, which I thought was really cool. And if yeah. we ever had the space for it, I'd do like a multi-use yeah. indoor, um, maybe full full basketball court that you can do. You know, you can do indoor soccer out of it or you can, you know, build a semi-gymnasium. Um, pools, they don't really... You know, um, we you know we've got pools in all our developments, but um, we would think twice depending on the loca- on the location. But I think just um, 
yeah, games, um, games and activities like that, the, you know, um, yeah. sports and things like that. I think particularly in Australia, sports bring people together. Yeah. Um, so, and having a little, you know, I'd love one day to have like a local Kensington versus local South Melbourne indoor soccer tournament or yeah. something like that, you know, or um, foosball tournament or mm. something like that. I'd love that. Finally, um, what's your dream retirement destination? Oh, another great question. You know what? I spent a little bit of time because um, uh, I, I, I'm into my cycling, or I previously was into my cycling, and I spent some time in Majorca. So, you That'd know. That'd be awesome. Cycling holiday. Cycling yeah. holiday. I love that place, but um, yeah. one day. Amazing. Matt, thank you for joining. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thanks, Nick.